Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I feel like I have not been here in forever. I had to hand off hosting responsibilities that I would normally do recently because I had a couple of conflicts, but I'm back, and I'm excited to be back, and it is solidly mid-November, which means that for many, many, many of you out there, you've already submitted a number of your applications, and now you are playing the really fun waiting game. And this year, because my son is a senior, uh, I am also playing the waiting game. And it's less fun than I thought it was. I never did really think it was fun, but now I can really appreciate that it's really not that fun. Um, Today, we are actually going to be talking to those seniors maybe who haven't gotten started. So we have some thoughts for you around essays and also maybe around gap years if you're feeling particularly not excited about going through the college process right now. But before we talk about either of those things, we're going to talk about loan servicers. And joining me is my colleague, Stacy McFeeders, who's a former financial aid officer at Emerson, at Elms. Um, she did consulting at Mount Holyoke, and she was also uh, a VP of education, finance, and student loans at J.P. Morgan Chase, which makes her particularly well-suited to discuss this topic with us today. Hi, Stacy. Hi, Beth. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. And I should probably also note that Stacy also has a child <laughs> who is a senior and so is also currently playing the waiting game. That's right. Uh, it's fun stuff. Uh, all right. So, Stacy, we're talking today about loan servicers. So why don't we start with the most obvious question? Okay. What is a loan servicer? Great question. Um, so for, for student loan borrowers, The process is a little different than borrowing from, say, your typical bank. Very often when you borrow a federal student loan or even a private student loan, you will find that you're borrowing from one entity, and it's very likely you will repay a second entity. So let's say, for example, you borrow from the federal program through the United States Department of Education. They're actually not going to collect on that loan. They're actually going to contract with an outside agency, entity, uh, a student loan servicer who is actually going to ultimately be responsible for your loan repayment and collection. Um, Sometimes they are identified as a federal student loan servicer. Sometimes they are uh, referred to as their existing name, um, but ultimately um, do business as a federal loan servicer. Um, And even sometimes when you have a private student loan, it's possible that the lender is actually selling those loans on what is called the secondary market. And then they are being serviced um, elsewhere by, again, a loan servicer. So at the end of the day, it's that organization business entity that is ultimately responsible for collecting your student loan repayment. And, you know, I would make a connection here between for anyone out there who's owned a house and had a mortgage on the house, Mm -hmm. right? Sometimes your mortgage gets sold. And so one day you're paying bank X and then... A week later, you're paying bank Y, and you might even be paying bank A, B, and C down the road, right? So it's a similar idea. Similar idea. Yeah, exactly. A little different in that there's not always sort of a sales transaction, which is usually invisible to you anyway, Mm -hmm. Um, but on the federal side, exactly the same idea. 
Okay, awesome. Yep. So as a borrower, why is it important for me to know who my loan servicer is? I mean, I yep. think it's pretty obvious, but hey, yep. let's throw it out there. Yeah, let's. So, you know, I'm going to answer this in a couple different ways. At the end of the day, you need to know who to pay your loans to. But right. there's a particular, particularly important reason this year that we're having this conversation. And this is a conversation for us that will be ongoing. So uh, hopefully folks will stay with us. But for most folks who have borrowed a federal student loan or federal student loans under many of the federal programs, you haven't had to repay your loan since March 2019. You've had the uh, CARES Act forbearance or the sort of timeout that's been legally allowed uh, for the last 20 months or so. Well, starting on January 30th, 2022, that's ending and you're going back into repayment. So the servicer conversation for us is critically important because right now you should be determining who your loan servicer is. You should be making sure that your logins are accurate. For those who've never been in repayment, you've got some work to do. You've got to figure out who these folks are. And my other little sort of needly detail that I want folks to know about is we have several major servicers exiting the federal student loan servicing business, and your loans will ultimately be serviced by someone else. So the reason we're having this conversation now um, in December, um, I'm sorry, in, in, I'm sorry, in, in November, November, in preparing for December and January is because you want to kind of get on top of what's happening now to be ready for what's about to happen in ultimately in December, in January, when you start getting communications from your servicers. Got it. So where do you find out? How do you find out who your servicer is? Yeah, great question. So I think the, the first and easiest way is obviously take a look at your documentation that you're getting in the mail. So what does that mean? Read your mail. Um, you know, I, I <laughs> Don't just admit- toss it in recycling. <laughs> no. And if you, if you think it's a solicitation, take a quick look. If you're mm-hmm. seeing something from you know, a, an entity you've never heard of and you think it's a loan solicitation, take a look at it. Um, it, it I am absolutely guilty of this. I don't read every piece of mail. So between mail and email, absolutely take a look to see what you're getting. They have started, servicers have started to communicate. They started communicating this month to kind of get people ready to go. So you need to definitely start there. Um, The other thing is if none of that is happening and you're not seeing that happen, you should have a federal student aid ID or an FSA ID. um, And you can use that FSA ID that you use to sign your FAFSA for the last several Mm -hmm. years to track all of your student loan information. So if you go to the FSA dot gov fsa.gov website you can actually track down all of your federal loan information awesome okay so i know that we are going to be talking about this um in a future podcast the the whole cares act coming yep. to an end um that's going to be airing just for our listeners sake we're going that's going to air around december 23rd and then of course it will be available in perpetuity but what are some anything that we should cover today you mentioned that a lot of the services are getting out of mm-hmm. the servicer market I think I asked you this a couple of weeks ago. Yep. Why? What's going on that's causing them to do that? So there's a lot of things at play. Um, and I'm, I'm sure some of them are, are not of any interest to folks. But the reality is the federal servicers have been contracted for a number of years. So the federal government goes out, identifies servicers, they're contracted for a number of years, and then they serve their responsibility. For some, the contract is ended and they've chosen not to renew. There's a whole lot of question about whether or not it's profitable for them or whether it's too onerous. Um, there's some, some, some things that have come down in current legislation or recent legislation that is requiring the services to do better, um, which I think is a great thing. And I think some of the services are just not wanting to continue to do that. Um, many of them are clearly going to continue in the private loan space. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't mean when you hear something like a 
um, AES FIA, which has been one of the largest loan servicers, is leaving the federal space. They're definitely staying in the private space. Right. Um, Naviant is another that folks will be really surprised to hear is leaving the, the government space. They are the former Sally May servicer. Um, they fully intend to, to continue servicing um, private loans. So there's just a whole lot of sort of nuance around it. Some of it's contract-based. We know that several new entities have had already been awarded the contracts. So some of that was probably just business as usual. Um, but it, it is something to keep track of. Um, and as you kind of get ready for what's to come, again, we're going to talk about this more as we get closer. We don't want to put the cart too far before the too far before the horse, um, but it's a good idea to start getting a sense of what this is. And that's for everyone, folks who had been in repayment and are going to re-enter, and, and probably most importantly for those folks who have had the last two years out of school and haven't made a payment, it's time to start thinking about that. Right. Yes. I mean, I think that's a really big one, right? The The need to start paying those is coming, and hopefully... Maybe you've been putting that money aside and saving it for this day when it came, but um, either way, it's going to start up again. Any last thoughts on this issue before we wrap it up? So we have a couple months, right? So you kind of hit the nail on the head. If you haven't been preparing to repay, and that doesn't mean just looking for your servicer, which is obviously our topic today. You've got like 90 days to sit down and say, okay, I need to look at my spending plan. I'm going to have to pay these loans. Whoops, tighten things <laughs> right. up a little bit. So yeah. really look at your, your, some people call it a budget. I love to spend. I call it a spending plan. Maybe <laughs> take out a few of those coffees. Maybe the Christmas shopping gets a little leaner than you would expect it. But if you know what your repayment is going to be, if you can make payments now, awesome. Goes towards principal. If right. you can't, start thinking about how you want to line that up because become, come February, and again, we'll talk about this more as we get closer, you're going to need to be ready. Well, actually, really good point there I, that you kind of mentioned in passing, but let's say you have been putting aside money, you haven't actually been paying, but you've just been yeah. putting aside money because you figure you're going to build up that cushion. It's It could be beneficial if you are feeling comfortable, you have a job, you're getting a steady salary to take that piece, that, that chunk that you built up and pay it before the loans start getting coming back in repayment, correct? Yeah, absolutely. So if that's something that you've been doing, and I will, I'll admit, I've talked to so many people who are like, well, I'm putting money aside, but I was hoping for forgiveness. Um, right. Doesn't look like that's immediately coming or ever. Um, right. But right. if you do have that sort of surplus of funds, even if it hasn't put aside, but you're like, oh, I could do this. No, if you do it now and you apply it to your loan principal, which is all that's a, that's that exists right now, there's no uh, interest accrual happening. You are immediately paying down your balance. So if that's an opportunity for you, absolutely take advantage of this these next couple of months. Right, huge, huge yeah. opportunity. Right, because obviously, the bigger your your primary loan is, the longer you're going to pay for it, and the more exactly. because you're going to pay more um, in in. Oh my God! Yep. Thank you. Yeah. In interest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Word yeah. just flew out of my brain. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. yes, awesome. Yep. Uh, Stacy, thank you so much for joining us to talk about this today. Always appreciate it. Always nice to see you. We are going to talk again in December. Yeah, actually, are. literally, I believe like a month from today, and then it's going to air on the twenty third. So if if our listeners, if you guys are interested in learning more, well, you're going to want to tune back and 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 keep listening to the podcast in the future. Absolutely. Thanks right. so much for having me. Absolutely. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about how to get started. So if you're a senior and you have not submitted any applications, haven't even thought about it, we have some tips for you on getting started on your essay. So don't go away.
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts, who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions, offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, welcome back to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Thanks for continuing with us today. Um, In our uh, earlier, I teased the fact that we know that there are seniors out there who have not even started uh, maybe they don't have a list. Maybe they maybe they do, but they haven't even looked at an application and they definitely haven't started working on their essay. So we have some advice for you today. And joining me for that is my colleague, Lisa Albro, who's a former admissions officer at Goucher College and also a former school counselor. And Lisa, I'm guessing that in your years as a school counselor, this was not an uncommon thing for you. (laughs) Not at all. Not at all. I would say probably the vast majority of my students, in spite of all the admonishments and and words of caution and, and, you know, tales of woe I shared with them from seniors past, I would say most of them were in this same boat. Yeah. And fairness, most of the students you counseled were boys too, correct? (laughs) That is correct. Five five years of of that time was at an all boys school. Yes. Yes. So um, not to knock boys. I have one myself and actually he's done. So he's not falling under that, but not uncommon for the the, the ones who are lagging a little bit more behind to be boys. What are you going to do? All right. right. So drawing on that experience, I guess... um, you know, you you're you have a senior. They haven't even thought about their essay at all, um, and now they have basically about a month to write it. Where? What's your advice on how do you where do you get started? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, get started right. I, I, <laughs> yes, I, and and I, I can't say that enough. Only because everyone thinks they have all this time, 
and they really don't because this time goes fast. And in between now and that January 1st deadline, there are holidays, there's a lot of fun to be had, there's a vacation from school. The last thing any of these guys or girls or kids are going to want to do is write essays over their holiday break. Right. Right. And so let's let's not even imagine that we have as much time as we think we have. <laughs> let's imagine right. we have less than a month or let's say just a month from now. Right. Let's aim for sometime in early December and think about, OK, what is it that I most want an admissions reader to know about me? What is most important about me, a, a characteristic of mine, a personality trait of mine? Um, I think very often students will look at those prompts, those common apps essay prompts and think, okay, what can I fit into this yes. prompt? And I feel like that's doing it backwards. I, yes. I prefer to not go that direction uh, because I feel like it, 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 it kind of, you know, compresses you into, into a, into a prompt as opposed to letting you really think freely about what's important about yourself. So I always say, you know, give some thought, what is intrinsic to who I am? What's a, you know, an experience of mine that really helped me grow? How can I highlight that? Uh, and, and maybe jot down some bullet points to start. I think right. bullet points are wonderful because it's scary and it's not always natural just to sit down and write an essay, right? It, yes. There, there, there's a lot of emotional weight to this and it can be daunting. And so I say, bullet, bullet some ideas, you know, sit down and list some things. Okay, what's important about me? What do I want to get across? Let me jot these down. What are some examples that will help to highlight these things? Because you and I both know, we read lots of essays. I think one of the challenges is that most of them are, are sorely lacking in examples. Yes, right. They tell I us a lot of stuff. They tell and we us just kind of have stuff. to take it on faith, right? Right, right. And I, I find myself when I'm reading these essays and making suggestions to students, I'm always highlighting a sentence, like a statement sentence where they'll say something. And I'll say, well, as your reader, I'm not going to believe this until you give me an example to show me how that's true. Just telling me doesn't make me believe it. So think of that. Think of what are some of the statements that you would want to make and what are some of the examples that help to back those things up. Right. And I want to underscore what you said earlier, because I think it is the almost the single most important piece of advice amongst a lot of really good advice, which is start with yourself, not with the prompts, right? Because on the common application, in my opinion, two of the prompts are basically topic of your choice. The first one, which basically says, what's something that's really important about you? And the last one, which says, share an essay on any topic that you would like to share with us, right? So do not start with trying, like you say, to compress you yourself into some prompt that someone else has created. Start with what you want to share. Then you can find the prompt that will work with that. You just, you have choices. So you don't have to start with the prompt. So exactly. love that advice. Yeah. All right. So you've got, you, you've made your list. How do you choose which one to focus on? Because I do think one big mistake that we also see a lot is students trying to fit everything into one essay and it winds up just being like a list this personal quality and one example this personal quality and one example this personal quality and then you have an essay with five personal qualities that and it it doesn't hang together right right i would say what is the primary quality and there might be 
some that can connect, you know, maybe there are some, some tertiary qualities that can fit under the primary quality mm-hmm. as, if they start to think about that. I also think involving people who know them well. You know, one of the brainstorming exercises <clears throat> that we recommend to students is to first think about things they're proud of, things that, that make them happy, things they enjoy doing, things they're good at, that type of thing. And then to talk to people who know them well and ask for words that those people would use to describe them to others who haven't met them. And then to look for some intersectionality between what are some of the things I've identified as, as intrinsic to who I am and what I enjoy, what I'm good at, and some of these words that that other people would use to describe me, where did some of those qualities, where did some of those words really highlight or, or, or shine through? Uh, what's an example I can use? And I, I keep saying an experience, what's an experience, but the essay is not meant to be about an experience. I think that's another really important thing I want to make yes. sure I make clear because we all see these essays too where, and, and we, we have these conversations with students all the time too, who say, well, nothing really big has happened to me. I'm only 17. I, I, I don't have any major thing. Or, or a lot of students think, well, I have to have a really bad, awful thing that happened to me right, in right. order to have a good essay. And, and that's it's not true either. It's, it's, it's not what happened to you. It's, it's who you are through mm-hmm. whatever that experience or that event or, or that realization might be. Uh, so, so really look for the one that's key, but also talk to the people who know you best because they might say, oh, yeah, when I think of you, this, this is the thing that I feel is kind of like your your signature experience or your, you know, your, your, the biggest growth that I've seen in you in your life or, or this is the thing I know you the most for right, as a right. friend or something. Exactly. And I would say that most 17 year olds, hopefully anyway, haven't had terrible things happen to them. Right. Aren't necessarily feeling like they've got this one really big thing to talk about. So more essays the vast majority of essays are going to be about those smaller things that are, you know, that all teenagers go through in life. And so it is about pulling your individual story out of that. Um, all right. So you've, you've, you've decided what you want to highlight. You've got your examples. You got this, all these nice bullet points. Where do you go from there? Yeah. Start drafting. Well, so before start drafting though, I mean, if you're looking at the bullet points and you're thinking, okay, what fits where? Uh, I'm a big believer that essays don't have to always be chronological. And and Mm -hmm. I often personally prefer essays that don't start at point A and take you to point Z. Sometimes I would like an essay to start with with a key moment at the beginning and then give me some backstory on that. So, you know, don't always think, okay, what happened first? What happened next? What happened after that? Think in terms of, okay, what is the example that can best draw a reader in and really help a reader understand something important about me that I can then suss out a little bit more as I write this. So look at your bullets and say, okay, this is, this is probably the, the chief example. Right. that I would want to use or the, the, the key experience or whatever the case may be, start there and then help the reader see, you know, the most important thing about you to start through that. And then, you know, you might want to spend some time giving a little background and building that out a little bit. Uh, but play with the order. Play with the order. You might start by writing something and then after you've written a paragraph or two, you might say, mm, you know what? I think this might be better to start with as opposed to having it come second. You know, there's, right. there's, there's no prescribed order to how this needs to go. 
Yeah, and I would say that I, it's not infrequent that I will go in and suggest something like that. Like, hey, this is kind of buried in the middle. Maybe you lead with this because mm-hmm. it's kind of an engaging story and it will draw your reader in. Or I'll say, well, this really, you know, I feel like this is, you're building towards this. So don't tell us this right up front. Maybe drop this down to come later. So I love that advice around don't necessarily be married to the first order you put everything down in, right? It might make sense to kind of, um, switch it up a little bit. Yeah. And that's it. Drafting, right? A draft is a draft. But do, also don't spend so long trying to perfect that draft. I think that's another big challenge that a lot of students feel that before they turn it in to somebody to look at, before they you know pass it on to us or pass it on to a parent or a guidance counselor or a teacher or something, they think it's got to be quote unquote perfect before, <laughs> before they do it. But they spend so much time trying to make it that way that they may be missing a big piece or a big idea that another pair of eyes might quickly see and say, hey, wait, stop. When you revise this, change this or start here, or we don't need as much about all of this. That's not as necessary, but give us more about this that you only mentioned very, very briefly. So, you know, turn it over to somebody sooner than later. if, If you're going to have another pair of eyes, take a look at it. Uh, knowing that the draft is really just meant to get you started. It's meant to kind of get the ideas down. Um, you know, as, as a writer, I would always start with something I call my splat copy, where mm-hmm. <laughs> just, you know, just get it down on paper as if you were to just kind of go, you know, splat. There right. it is. It's on paper, <laughs> on computer, just to get the ideas there and then play with it a little bit. You know, give it to somebody else to look and say, hey, is this okay? Or, you know, what, what are we missing? Or what else, you know, what have I forgotten? where can I kind of economize a little bit, take some things away and, and then come back to it with those fresh eyes after somebody has given you some, some direction. Yeah. I love it. Um, you know, advice on taking it from that splat uh, version and getting advice and then kind of, when do you know it's done? Is there, are there a specific number of drafts that you would recommend, you know? I'm asking you the hard questions to answer. It it is a hard question because there's some, and you know, there's some essays I've looked at, and after two or three revisions, they're great. They're ready to go. Mm -hmm. There's some that kind of keep needing revision and need more and need more. So it's hard to say. It's hard to give you a number. But I also believe that, you know, at some point you have to be done with it, right? So if you spend so many hours going over it and and revising and revising again and trying to find the perfect words, you know, you can only do that for so long before you've got to be done with it. And, and again, I'll go back to an experience I had when I was working in my, in my master's in creative writing program, where one of my mentors used to say all the time, you don't so much finish a story as surrender it. Yeah. I feel that way about an essay. You don't just, you know, it, it. you could always keep working on it, but at some point you have to let it go. You've got to submit it. So get it to where you feel you're getting the message across that you most need to get across and that whoever is helping you look at it is saying, yeah, I think this captures you. I think this right. is who you are. You know, stop trying to find the words to add to it, stop trying to embellish it. <laughs> you know? Yes. I think a lot Please. of students feel like they, they, they overwrite Mm-hmm. You know, they, you don't need, you don't need adverbs all the time. You don't no. need lots of descriptors all the time. Sometimes the simplest way is the best way to get the idea across too. If I had a dollar for the number of times I have written, be more straightforward in an essay, <laughs> I wouldn't need to do this job. So because I could like, I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. No, ad, get rid of the adverbs. 
If you're looking to cut num cut like word count, just go and take all the adverbs out. For the most part, you probably don't need any of them. Maybe you need one or two, but you definitely do not need as many as many students will cram into an essay. And if you've read with a thesaurus in hand, that is also not a good thing. If you can't define the word that you're putting in there, just because the thesaurus popped it up as an alternate to the word that you had that you think is too boring, um, does not mean it is an appropriate word to, to pop in there. And in fact, I feel like maybe we could do an entire segment on inappropriate word sw- swaps that students have made solely based on thesaurus, right? right. Solely based yeah. on thesaurus and, and quotations. Yes. Too many quotations. I find myself always saying to students, use your own words. As your reader, I want to know what you have to say. Don't tell me what Aldous Huxley had to say. Don't tell me what Rosa Parks had to say, although they had great things to say. Give me your words. Give me your reflection on that. You have 600, 500, 650 words. Use them for your words and not for someone else's words. Also completely agree. Lisa, thank you so much for sharing your advice and tips. And I personally think that if I was a senior and I had not started my essay, I would be walking away feeling like, okay, at least I have an idea of where to start. So I really appreciate you joining us today. You bet. Absolutely. Have a great day. All right. Thank you. We're going to take a quick break and go to commercial. And when we come back, we're talking about gap years. So don't go away. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. College admissions can be stressful. But Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts, who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions, offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, 
back to the show. All right, welcome back, everybody, to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Um, In a previous segment, we talked about seniors who had not started uh, even thinking about their essay, and we walked them through some ideas and suggestions for how to get started. But what if you are really just completely unengaged in the process, period, and it goes beyond just, oh, I haven't had time to write the essay, or I... I'm afraid to start the essay to a place where it's really just more like, I'm just not sure that I am ready to apply to college um, or to go to college, probably more importantly, next year. Or if you're a parent listening to this, what if this is what you're experiencing with your child? So we wanted to talk about gap years in that context. And joining me is my colleague, Zaragoza Guerra, who is a former admissions officer at MIT, at Caltech, and at Boston Conservatory three interesting, an interesting combo of schools there, Z, um, and who I think is really well equipped to talk to us about this because he has worked with a number of students who have ultimately chosen gap years. So welcome to the show, Z. Thank you, Beth. Glad to be here. So let's talk a little bit about gap years. And I think that my first question for you or would love to get your thoughts on is, you know, Who's a good candidate for a gap year? And perhaps even expanding that to what even is a gap year? <laughs> Great. Well, I, I think, you know, a gap year is something that is probably a little bit more customary abroad in other places mm-hmm. like the UK. And it's something that people have been more recently considering here in the US, at least to a greater extent. And it's certainly a part of uh, a tradition here in the US. I remember when working as an admission officer, there were plenty of uh, students who would request a gap year after they had been admitted um, from our university, uh, any one of the universities that I worked for. Um, So it's certainly that something that can be done here in the U.S. And I think most colleges and universities are amenable uh, to gap years and probably even promote them. And I think, you know, for students who are considering it, there are a number of reasons for pursuing it. It could either be someone who wants to uh, pursue something professionally before they immerse themselves into an academic topic. They want to probably get a feel for their prospective profession um, to see if that's something that they want to study in college. It could be that particular student who uh, is doing it for practical reasons. There are practical um, things that they they want to get under their belt, whether it's, I want to learn another language, or I want to you know, develop a particular talent. Um, I want to spend that year growing in some capacity. And it might not necessarily be absolutely academically oriented. And then there are those students who just feel, oh, you know, <laughs> yeah, like our student who hasn't started their essay, right? <laughs> exactly. I yeah. mean, this has been a tough year and a half, two years. Mm-hmm. So if if you're that kind of student who's at that point and who can recognize that you kind of need a break, um, mm-hmm. you kind of need to re-energize yourself. Hey, I applaud you. Go ahead and do it and, and, and consider it because we all need those breaks every right. now and then and, and that moment to recreate ourselves um, and, and, and do something completely different. And, you know, I'm mindful of the fact that, you know, once you enter college and then, you know, there are going to be plenty of students who are 
uh, you know, going to enter a profession soon after that or going to enter right. graduate school. And life catches you by surprise. And all of a sudden you wake up and you're, you realize, ooh. <laughs> all of a sudden you wake up and you're 50. You're 50 and I and... haven't taken any breaks. I haven't right? done that hiking trip throughout Europe that I wanted to do. I haven't done X, Y, or Z. So yeah. this might be a really good opportunity to do that, especially yeah. you know after this, this past year and a half. Right, right. And actually, what's interesting is I do think that this past year and a half, one thing it probably brought to the forefront for some people was this idea of that you could take a gap year, right? So deferrals became a hot thing because people were sort of like, I don't really want to go to school if I can't physically be there. Totally mm-hmm. understood. Um, and, and I do agree that I think a lot of schools are fine with a gap year. But if it is something that you are seriously thinking about, and you're going to apply to college before you take your gap year, that is probably a good question to ask. You don't have to ask it as the applicant, you know, like you could call up and then be anonymous and say, hey, what's your policy on deferrals? Um, I know that here in the Ma- in Massachusetts, the University of Massachusetts has a policy that they don't do deferrals. So if you apply, get accepted and then decide you're going to take the year off, you have to reapply that, you know, at, at some point. So it is good to investigate if you have some schools in mind. Obviously, the other thing you could do is just wait and apply during your gap year. Um, and then you're not worried because you're not asking for a deferral. Absolutely. It, you know, even, you know, in, in other places where the gap year is a little bit more uh, uh, traditional, you know, I'll, I'll give an example. Sometimes I, I did international admissions and there are some places where military service is required yeah. or, you know, some kind of community service is required before you enter college. And so those particular students from those particular communities applying to school here in the U.S. would be applying from their gap year. And I'd have to say there was a lot of maturity yeah. <laughs> with those applications and experiences that were differentiating for those students. So there's something to be said how it could be perhaps a positive even within the admissions process. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I mentioned earlier that um, you have worked with a number of students who have taken gap years. And I was just curious if you had some examples that you could maybe share with, you know, you I I like the buckets that you put it in the practical student, the professionally oriented student, the those kind of just knowing wow, I need to take a break before I'm going to be ready to go to college. Um, Actually, I'm working with a student right now who's done exactly that. Um, So I I would love to, you know, if you could have some examples that our readers could hear about and see, oh, that sounds interesting. Sure. You know, some of the students who I've worked with, there are two two that come to mind who were who graduated a little bit earlier than usual. And they took those gap years for practical purposes, sometimes a little bit of professional uh, reasons as well um, in in terms of how they use that gap year. But I think, you know, one of the practical reasons for them taking it was to be able to go to school with their own age cohort. And, you know, for them, that was, that was important. They felt they needed a little bit more, uh, not necessarily maturity, but the the chance to experience things that they weren't able to experience um, right. as high school students. And so for those particular students, I remember one, um, he actually, uh, you know, spent a, a bit of time in uh, both practically speaking and professionally speaking. Mm-hmm. He took on a couple of jobs. He was uh, 
you know, a programmer and had a lot of experience programming and a lot of know-how in computer science. And he asked a number of local companies if he could program for them. And that's exactly what he did. Yeah, cool. um, on the side, he, uh, you know, took a lot of classes at, at Coursera, you mm-hmm. know, brushing up his skill sets with, with respect to machine learning and all kinds of um, computer programming languages that helped him with his particular job. On the growing up side, he decided to try things that he hadn't experienced. He took flying lessons and Mm -hmm. he, you know, started a music group that uh, would uh, enliven the lives of those in retirement communities um, in his particular area. So he did quite a number of things. He actually took two gap years uh, because he graduated at the age of 14. So there was a lot of opportunities for him to grow. I had another student who, um, you, you know, there's a lot of learning that can take place um, mm-hmm. in a gap year that doesn't have to be done within the classroom, per se. And it's not right. necessarily an – it can be academic, but it doesn't necessarily have to be classroom-defined. Um, so I've had several students who've gone ahead and, and immersed themselves in research lab. They contacted professors in the local areas. And instead of just spending a, a month doing research like a lot of students might do, they spent a full year. And, yeah. you know, that enabled them to present at conferences and, and to, you know, sometimes even start their own businesses. Um, right. So uh, these were, were really great experiences. On the, the practical side, you know, I've had some students – you know, my, in my own experience, you know, growing up and, and my first encounter with a gap year was one of my best friends who I met at my study abroad experience. She had actually done a study abroad experience before her official <laughs> college right. study abroad experience and went to Brazil to learn the language and immerse herself in that culture. So, um, you know, there are a lot of really exciting uh, ways to do it. Personally speaking, while I didn't take a gap year, Outside of high school, I did kind of take one at, right after college, and mm-hmm. uh, there was a nonprofit that I had contacted and had been working with, and I said, hey, can you take a volunteer for a year or two? And right. they took me on, and I was able to do that and just do something relatively fun. Okay? Right. They decided <laughs> to pay me a little bit at volunteer prices, but it was a really great experience before I you know, entered my the, the, the professional world, so to speak. Right. And I, um, she's not here to share her story today, but Sally, one of my co-hosts who all of our listeners should know really well, did a gap year and she did, the, she chose the study abroad option. So she did that before she went off to college. Um, one thing that I did want to note is, um, you know, your student who took Coursera courses, right? Not for credit, your students who were doing academic things, but not in a classroom. Key there is that if you do take classes, you have to be careful because you could turn yourself into a transfer student, right? There are a number of schools where one course at the local community college means that you no longer qualify to be a freshman. So you do have to be really careful in your gap year that you're not doing something that will impact your standing when you comes time to go to college. So. Exactly. And, th- and that's probably why academically you do some non-traditional things. Yeah. I've even had some students who asked about semester at sea, and there's always that question, well, are you going to get college credit for that? Right. How will a college or university feel about that? You're going to want to ask um, yes. beforehand. 
Right. And because nothing is ever simple, the reality is there are some schools that will be like, no problem, you'll come in as a freshman and other schools where they will consider that as academic. So and mm-hmm. you'll be in as a transfer. Mm-hmm. What about so we've painted this picture and we, you know, it, it does sound like there are some really interesting things that you can do. Um, what are some resources that you recommend for students who maybe know that they'd like to take a break, but really have no idea where to start looking for that next thing to do. Yeah, one of the places that I might uh, recommend um, is the Gap Year uh, Association. It's a, it's a nonprofit website um, that lists a lot of uh, Gap Year experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a group of educators who, you know, want to make it easier for uh, students across the country to, to pursue Gap Years, um, you know, e- even regardless to cost. So uh, that might be a really great place to start. And, mm-hmm. you know, they're their repository of a lot of um, gap year experiences out there, you know, even just looking at their website today, came across all sorts of, of, of gap year opportunities. I would say, you know, sometimes some gap year experiences might be a little bit more expensive than others. Some might mm-hmm. require fees yep. to a certain degree. Um, I don't think that should necessarily deter one from a gap year because some of the students who I've seen do gap years have done so creatively and they've sought out experiences within their own neighborhoods, within their own region, within their own city. So my general recommendation is to you know, ask all the adults in your life, ask your teachers, ask your school counselor, ask, you know, if you're involved in any nonprofit organization doing some volunteer work, ask them, be creative, because um, while they might not necessarily have an opportunity at hand for you, they might know someone else who does. Right. Um, and this could be, you know, for those who are seeking out a volunteer opportunity, you know, or mm-hmm. it could be for those who might be looking for a professional experience. You know, to be quite honest, all the students who I've seen do a gap year for professional reasons, it's not as if they traveled across the country to take on a formal internship. They sought out local mom and pop organizations just starting out who could use their help. So uh, definitely ask around, particularly locally. And as I said, um, you know, for, for some students, colleges... Uh, not only a great opportunity, it's also a time where one might be taking out some student loans. Okay, mm-hmm. so think about that. Um, after you graduate from college, you're going to be responsible for paying some of these back. So a gap year later on or some of these experiences might have to be deferred for a while. So right. this might be a really great time to, to do it. Um, yep. And, you know, there are economical ways to, to pursue a gap year experience. It doesn't, yeah, you don't have to shell out a, a ton of money to do it. Very true. And I also think that to your point about, you know, you're going to have to pay back student loans, you're also going to be starting your career in theory, right? So if you're in the middle of your career, it's really hard to take a break five years in and say, hey, I'm just going to take a year and go do something for fun. That's a little difficult to, I mean, people definitely do it, but it can be difficult to explain when you're coming back and now you want to get back into the work world. You Now you've lost a year and maybe that's fine. You know, there are arguments for and against that piece of it too, but um, you may come up against a hiring manager who says, well, you just took a year after uh, being on this great trajectory. What happens when you're on our trajectory? Are you then in three years going to say, okay, I need a year off and I'm leaving, right? So more reasons I think that you want to 
think about the gap year sooner than later. And, you know, hey, maybe it's maybe you literally just work for the year and maybe it's not a fancy job, and but you sock that money away. And maybe that means there are fewer loans that you need to take out also. And that could Absolutely. ease things up a little bit. Right. So. And it's, it's not only that it, it could be, um, you know, I. I this is not necessarily a gap year experience. I'm just thinking about, you know, even those small breaks and that you, when you take on a job that might be a little bit unusual mm-hmm. and, you know, yes. there are some experiences where you can spend your gap year, even just doing, you know, working at a coffee shop, doing mm-hmm. a little bit of manual labor. I've once worked on a cotton gym on a farm, you know, right. and, and those were very memorable experiences for me. I got to meet people who I otherwise never would have met and got right. to experience some things that I never would have been able to, to, to do and, and learn some skill sets that I never used again. I, you know, I learned how to manage a tractor don't do it in my current job, but hey, it was fun. Um, <laughs> Don't so, do it in your personal life yeah, either, but exactly. yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, think of those creative experiences that you might not necessarily be able to do again. Yeah. So with that in mind, um, we shared some real examples of people that, you know, students you've worked with. Any other, you know, again, people might be thinking, gosh, I don't know what to do. Any thoughts of, you know, some ideas that might get them started? Yeah, I would probably say... Um, you know, some real world examples of some opportunities that you might see out there. Some are going to be a little bit more expensive than others, but I think um, there, there are quite a variety of, uh, of opportunities out there. There are uh, students who might be able to volunteer for, you know, any kind of uh, organization. Uh, I'm bringing up Habitat for Humanity, for example. Mm-hmm. Why not spend that year giving of your time for them, making a difference within your community? Um, that could be uh, an opportunity. There are certainly some students who've taken a gap year to um, replenish their their artistic skills, Mm -hmm. okay? And there's certainly a lot of um, uh, great organizations out there like Idlewild, Mm -hmm. uh, which is an arts school that will have an opportunity, that has opportunities for students to, you know, become better at at those artistic skill sets, whether that's the visual arts, whether that's the performing arts. Um, There are students who, you know, could immerse themselves in their local community theater, for mm-hmm. heaven's sakes, if that's something that they wanted to do, if they wanted to, you know, you know, one of the things that I think about are, are those students who love music, but you know, they know that's not something that they're going to pursue professionally, but they absolutely love it before they immerse themselves into their particular major, they could spend a year immersing themselves in that craft, in mm-hmm. piano, in voice, and, and, and so forth, and, and really spend the, the time that a conservatory student would spend right. studying those things. Um, it could be that uh, it, it is volunteer work. Um, you know, within their their community. I I mentioned Habitat for Humanity, but they're going to be political organizations that they could get involved with. You know, let's say they've got that that, uh, idea to go into political science, volunteering for a political campaign. Mm -hmm. There are lots of um, really neat opportunities. And then there are going to be some of those more well-known ones that people have already heard of, like Semester at Sea, you know, traveling, hiking, I, I remember spending a little time hiking across Europe and meeting a lot of students running their gap year doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hiking, spending a year just going on these particular trails. And I wish, ooh, I got the opportunity to do that between jobs. I wish I had done that full time after 
after yeah. high school, that would have been an amazing experience. Yes, exactly. Um, all right. Well, Z, thank you so much for joining us. Really good ideas and um, uh, thoughts about gap years. I guess the last thing I would um, I would ask, and I would let our listeners know that we have in, in the past talked about gap years. And one thing that Z and I are not talking about today is using a gap year to um, improve your application so that you will be a better applicant. And that's a whole conversation, I think, for another day. Um, what are your, just off the top of your head, really quickly, your thoughts on applying now as a senior versus waiting until you are in the middle of your gap year? You know, do you have a hard and fast rule on that? I don't necessarily have a hard and fast rule, but I think it is a lot easier to mm-hmm. apply when one is still in high school because yes. you still have access to all of those counseling resources yep. um, at your fingertips um, you know, every day. It becomes a little bit harder when you leave. Um, and, and the other thing that I will say is that I, I think sometimes we imagine that there's going to be a, a huge amount of growth that takes place in the gap year. And while that is true, um, <laughs> there's not that much time in between when you would have received an admissions decision and when you need to apply. Right, exactly. That tech growth takes a full year and yeah. you will have applied well before that full year will have completed. So if, yep. if you're thinking of doing it for those particular reasons, I might say, hey, maybe two gap years. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I totally agree. Z, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Glad to be here. Take care. Uh- All right. Um, Next week, Sally is hosting. Um, She is going to be covering the financial aid impact of having multiple children in college at the same time. Um, The benefits to that are shifting a little bit, and they're going to be talking about that next week. We're also going to be sharing stories from our team. So one of our newest educators is going to be joining to share her personal story around college admissions. We're also going to be talking about what your regular decision college list should look like um, don't forget, if you enjoy this podcast, if you find that it's useful, please leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts. The more reviews we get, the easier it is for others to find us and also get our insight and our help. Um, and if you have questions, send them to us. We're on Facebook and on Instagram, um, at College Coach BH on Instagram. Um, I'm also on Instagram. Don't post as much as I should, but at Elizabeth Heaton 92. If you send questions to us via Facebook and Instagram, we will answer them on the show. You can also just email them to us, gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Again, it's gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. And don't forget, we are here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.